Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. Online, we stream worldwide to the masses at RadioNorthland.org, and you can find us on TuneIn. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Glenn Broggett, along with my partner in crime. We're down there deep in the heart of Texas where the weather is uh, reasonable temp-wise, uh, which is always good. Uh, we're talking about Mike McCurdy, the grizzled vet, the great grizzle whiz. Mike, it's good to hear from you once again as we're ending the uh, year of 2023, but we're not ending any wrestling memories, not by a long shot. I'm wondering how many nicknames I'm going to have by the beginning, by January 1st. I'm going to celebrate the new year with, I got Grizzle Vet, I got the great Grizzle Wiz, we'll see what else we come up with. Hey, hey, I mean, you could maybe get your uh, Pro Wrestling T-shirts, uh, T's uh, site started, your little page. You can get all kinds hey, of different Hey, there merch. you go. I need to have a graphic design made, the great Grizzle Wiz, a little... Kind of like Gandalf with a wrestling belt or something, you know, that kind of a, a kind of a style. Gandalf with a wrestling belt. I think we can. Or Gazoo. I could do Gazoo. You know, remember the great Gazoo? I could do him. Mm -hmm. A little Not floating alien creature with a with a wrestling belt. <laughs> <laughs> or is, what, what was the other one? The great uh, the Shmoo. Whatever happened to the Shmoo? That's oh yes, the Shmoo. Yes, Shmoo. The big white. Well, basically, it looks like the guy from Big Hero Six now. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what the hell did the schmoo serve? I mean, good Lord. I remember the schmoo, but very briefly. He's one of those, like, in and outs. I mean, he was there, but really, what what's, what, what, sir, what did he serve? I can't remember. I regularly remember the character. It was part of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Naturally. I don't remember what group he was with, but I do remember the schmoo. <laughs> As we were talking about the schmoo, we should get into a little bit of wrestling, uh, some pro wrestling talk. Uh, you know, not, not that there's uh, been anything going on in the business in what the last few weeks since we got together here on Wrestling Memories, Mike. Whatever, you know, Randy, our truth returned. That's probably the biggest story of you know the turn. You know, he is now involved with something with the Judgment Day. I think that's kind of basically the big story. Uh, you know, maybe a little AEW stuff like that, but nothing anything else i don't think i mean some guy came out of survivor series i guess everybody's really excited about it but yeah um, yeah some guy named that. phil 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 brooks is some that what his phil. name is yes phil. phil phil brooks yeah that, that guy yeah 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 and uh yeah we're talking uh, aka cm punk yeah he's he's uh back in the wwe and did the most generic interview or a uh, uh, little uh, promo i've ever heard in my life and i i jokingly before yeah. uh, it happened mike i said Watch, he'll drop the I'm home line. You're home? Now that's just where the money is at, my man. And, you know, you, you, things are good right now. We'll, we'll take a wait and see. I mean, things are a lot different as far as uh, how things are run in the Fed as opposed to AEW. But, uh, yeah, that whole great-to-be-home line, ah, come on, man. That's exactly what I told my wife as soon as – and he's hard work. I'm home. I looked at my wife, and I'm like, and home is where the money is. Because, yeah, this man trashed everything, and then he's back. He goes, I'm home. Yeah, that's great, because you just signed a multi-million dollar contract, probably. So, of course, you're home. Mm -hmm. But, hey, you know what? Open mind. Let's see what happens. I'm sure we're going to get the CM Punk-Seth Rollins feud, which kind of, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a good match between those two. Oh, yeah. Now, there's oh, a few yeah. matchups I'd like to see, so we'll see if, uh, you know, Mr. Punk can kind of, you know, play nice with everybody. I mean, we don't have the Bucks. We don't have you know jungle, jungle boy, boy so yeah. maybe he can maybe he can behave and we'll get some good matches out of this and it'll be a good return no hangman page i mean no, no colt cabana i mean no he's, cabana. he's got he's back in the fed we'll see what happens with that but 
I guess I'm okay with all that, you know, because that's all fine. Because I don't. The thing that really kind of just gets me, and I, I always, I always am a sucker for it, is how many experts we have in the pro wrestling business on the fan side of things. And man, do we is is social media as a whole? I may be getting too old, but just I mean, I try to look at the glass half full instead of half empty, but. Boy, there's some real toxic business still continuing to build up, especially on social media. I mean, just involved with AEW and uh, WWE fans, the tribalism, that's the divisive actions. I mean, that to me is probably the one thing that's really starting to turn me off sometimes on wrestling because I know I can always avoid it, but it's every once in a while, just you have to look and what you see, it just disgusts you. I mean, fans have their right to view and you know have their express their opinions, but come on, some of the stuff is just downright juvenile. I, within 24 hours of his return to Survivor Series, I had to step away from, I mean, I follow social media, I'm on every day, always looking to see what's coming up, you know, but I had to step away from it for a little bit because, yeah, everybody... Oh, he's toxic. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, Seth Rollins really hates him. Oh, this really happened. I'm like, oh, God. Drew McIntyre is genuinely mad. I'm like, yes, Drew McIntyre is genuinely mad. Everybody, I'm just like, I can't, I can't handle it. I had to step away. Punk talk was too much. And I knew I had shows coming up where we were going to have to talk about it. And I wanted to not be so sick of it that, you know, just vile would come out of my mouth when I started talking. So. <laughs> yeah, because it's like that stuff just exhausts me after a while. So it was like I had to take a time out as well from it before I, I, I ended up finding myself into the poison cauldron. But yeah, AEW, they're still keep on. They're doing their thing. They got some big angles. They got their tournament going on right now, which has been in some really interesting matchups. This is like the wrestling fans, wrestlers, or this is the true wrestling uh, tournament, I guess, as far as the wrestlers, wrestlers tournament. Because all those guys that are involved, man, all these matches we've seen thus far, I've been quite impressed with it, Mike. I've enjoyed the tournament. I've enjoyed the matchups. Um, a friend of mine, he made a statement that I hadn't thought about it, but I have to agree with it. And that was that Mark Briscoe is basically the great Muda of uh, the <laughs> Continental Classic tournament. Nice, nice. I was reference. like, ah, that, that's sad because, man, he is such a talent. You're just not using him right, but... No, the matches have been good. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed Eddie Kingston and Brian Danielson. That one was, you know, everything I wanted and more. And even some of the, you know, lower card might have been really good. Rush has been, uh, you know, really good in this. I've enjoyed Andrade in this tournament. So, I mean, you can't really complain about it too much. <clears throat> yeah, even the guys that aren't, you know, aren't getting the wins uh, as of right now, your Jay Lethals and your, your Daniel Garcias and stuff. That's still they, they are still some great workhorses when it comes to getting in that ring and, and this has been been a fun tournament to to watch so far. Don't know if it's going to get the the casual eye uh, but I mean from what I've watched I've really enjoyed it and what I'm really enjoying right now in AEW is Swerve Strickland. Swerve Strickland for me and I'll say it right now in 2024 that man will be AEW world champion he has to be if they don't they're dropping the ball on this guy i mean after the those series of matches with with hangman page his performance so far in the tournament here ah i mean this guy he's running on all cylinders this is one of those guys that i bet uh triple h just kind of rolls his eyes as far as you know when he got released and they didn't get a chance to get him back into the fold because i think he he would do big things even in the wwe i think he would i think they probably maybe uh they missed out on this one. I mean, they brought a lot of people back, but this was one that they weren't able to get. And boy, what a, what a talent he is, man! 
They brought back Hit Row, but they didn't bring back the leader. The charismatic one out of the group. <laughs> you got the guy that can't get over the rope and all that business. But anyway, we got to get to our guest today, uh, you know, because we could talk all kinds of different stories about what's going on with these uh, companies going heading into the end of the year and into the new year. But you got a good uh, guest. You got a guy you're connected with for some time. He's got a great story. And I love to talk wrestling. I love to meet new guys, new people here in the fold. So, Mike, I want to let you uh, introduce this gentleman. I want to hear the story, and I even want to fire a few questions. So let's roll with it. Yes, our guest this week. This show is going to be very, uh, very Texas centric uh, today because that's where this gentleman's from. That's where I'm based. And I was looking forward to having this interview with him. I met him a couple years ago when he uh, worked a show that I was a part of, and. I was interested in his story, and I wanted to bring him on so we could talk a little bit about it, learn a little more. And I think our listeners are going to be a little surprised by a couple uh, pieces of information. Our guest this week, he's former promoter, current wrestler, Mr. Haas Holding. Haas, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Love your name, man. Haas Holding. That's authority <laughs> right there, brother. Hey, man, you got to run with it. You know how it goes. So now, Haas, um, like I said, our listeners are going to be very interested in uh, a piece of your story, but I want to talk a little bit more about your background before we get to that. You know, what got you into wrestling? Because we all know, you know, you're, you're a Texas native, and we all know, of course, Texas, that's world-class championship wrestling. That's also, you know, Houston. You had Paul Bosch. You had Tolton Blanchard. What got you into wrestling to start? Well, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and obviously at the prime when the Sportatorium was rocking. So, you know, and even watching, I remember this as a kid, you know, watching it when it would be on Saturday night when Fritz first came in and, oh, some of the guys, Red, uh, Red Bastine, uh, uh, Pretty Boy George, all those guys started. So I, I probably started watching it as a kid, you know, black and white TV, rabbit ears, the whole thing back in the late 60s and, and 70s. And I just, it became a ritual. I had to watch wrestling, you know, every week. Back then, obviously, you didn't have all the outlets and access to wrestling as we do now. So, yeah, when it came on, it was a treat, but I never missed it for a long time. Now, as you were watching wrestling, who are some of your who are some of the guys that you enjoyed? Some of your favorites? Because you're talking late '60s, <coughs> early '70s, obviously yes. before you know the boom of the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. But there were still some great names wrestling here in Texas at that. Time. Oh, oh yeah. Well, obviously, when I really started remembering the names, and some of that's so fuzzy, you know, the names back then, but. You know, obviously, you know, I really grew up when I've watched all the Von Eric boys when they started their careers. You know, I watched the dad, you know, I watched Gary Hart, you know, um, a, a lot of those guys are like that in that era. That's when it really hooked me. And that's when I really was following it, kind of when first David started started up. And um, and then it was uh, Kevin and, you know, you know, and just watching that whole the whole rise and even it started falling of, uh, you know, of the Sportatorium. It was that was my area uh, era right there. And that's, you know, there and in Fort Worth, you know, they would do money nights. And so, you know, I'd be there on whenever I could get drunk, jump a train or whatever I had to do to get there. For long time, all through the 70s. Yes. What was it like during that time to actually be at the Sportatorium? I've seen it and it's obviously, you know, when I got there, it was just the empty lot that we all know about. And I got to stand on the ground, but never got to be in the building. What was the Sportatorium like? I don't think there will ever be a greater venue than what we had. You know, the seats were hard. You had poles all in the area. And, uh, but you could get the best French fries there. 
and I don't know if they just kept using the same grease for 20 years or what was their secret, but they were the best French fries in the world. I don't know. It was just, a, it's really magical. I think the whole thing was just a sportatorium and just how magical it was and what it, what it still, what it meant to wrestling. You know, I know I could tell that just a sidetrack right quick and I will regret this forever. So I owned a construction and an environmental business in 99 and 2001 in that area. And on one of the bed sheets that I had access to, it was a demolition of that, of the sportatorium. I remember when that bed sheet came out and I was thinking about it. I said, man, what a crime tearing that down. And I actually drove up to look at it and I wanted to bid it for a dollar and take it down by pieces you know it would have been a very expensive project and i wanted to rebuild that thing one day and and it they had to, they they wanted to show that it went to recycler and disposal and all that stuff they didn't they wouldn't let me keep the material and so i, I pulled out of it i couldn't i didn't even bid the job but i wanted to bid it for a dollar and then i wanted to tear it down piece by piece and rebuild it or parts of it one day and it just didn't happen just a little side story. If you look on eBay, uh, things will come up. I'm not sure the legitimacy of it, but it's supposed to be like actual pieces of the the the, uh, the foundation, the cement, mm-hmm. like pieces of it you can buy on eBay. I don't know the I don't know the validity of it. And yeah. like you're saying, now they're wanting to do recycling and all that, so it may not be uh, legitimate. Since you're saying that, well, uh, so much of the metal, like, like you know. Yeah, it was, you know, all the steel and metal, you know, they were going to a recycler. Uh, the concrete and stuff, you know, they would send it to a recycler as well. And, you know, now they might have pulled some benches out, but a lot of that stuff was out of it. It was pretty well gutted. You know, the offices, I think there was a few desks left and things like that, but it was pretty well gutted when they put it up for bid. A lot of a lot of vandalism. It was pretty sad to see. That would have been something if you could have gotten, like, a desk. Because I remember in the movie... <laughs> The uh, the legends that Brian Harrison came out with when Kevin went through the building for it. Fritz's desk was still in the office. I remember going to the office, I, his desk was still in there. And that might have been his desk. <laughs> so I don't know. But, yeah, it really – I really wish now because, you know, now where I'm at, it would have been nice to build something similar to that. And, you know, you never know what happens in the future. But, man, that was, uh, that was a very spe- – it was – it was a very special place. I don't know if there was any more place special in wrestling than the Sportatorium and all the years that it, you know, and plus all the musical acts before wrestling it hosted. It was a very unique and special place. Oh, definitely. I'm a Johnny Cash fan, and uh, obviously Johnny Cash and the Big Blue Henry, they played at the uh, at the Sportatorium in Dallas, so that's a thing Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. Watching wrestling a lot growing up, you said, you know, you're watching World Class and you're seeing the Von Erichs and obviously the Freebirds and some of that great stuff. Oh, great. What was the point where you saw this and decided, I want to try this, I want to be a wrestler? Well, early 80s, you know, I uh, I wanted to, but back then, you know, you didn't have the schools, you didn't have what you had today. It was pretty much an invite only. And I know one day before he left to, uh, to uh, Japan for the last time, I, I I saw David, and I've got a little story with David. So one night, you know, I was at the Sportatorium, and he used to buy horses, and I know that he dealt with my aunt and uncle up in the Plano area on some horse stuff. And I met him there once, and I was younger. But he recognized me, and he said, hey, come here. And he goes, get in my car. And so I get in David's. He had a blue Corvette. And there was a store right across the street over there. And he goes, man, I can't get in there. <clears throat> Would you um, – 
go in there and get me a six pack of Budweiser. And I said, well, heck yeah, man. So we rode over there and actually he goes, here, have you one? I drank a beer with him. And that's when I told him, and he goes, man, you put some weight on, you do this. And then, you know, come back in a year or two and, you know, we'll talk, you know, let me get through all this stuff. And then, you know, later on, obviously he passed away, but, uh, that was in. And then slowly thereafter, I, I know that, uh, in 88, I just had my third child. Now, I didn't have any money, but I lived in a little town called Maypole up there. <clears throat> and I couldn't even afford a $150 house payment back then, you know, a rent. And I was cutting wood. I was doing anything I can to make it, you know. Well, then I was watching Channel 11 when the wrestling came on, and Chris Adams comes on. And he goes, have you ever thought about being a professional wrestler? Well, now is your chance. I'm opening up the first, you know, school for you can be your dream star yada and ran the commercial and you can still see the commercial on youtube and before that commercial was over i got i had an old chevy truck no floorboard in it column shift and i drove to dallas from april and i get up in there you know and and uh looking around there's, there's a ring but they take me to a side office over there and talking about the train there was a lot of people there that day too to train and so, you know, they got me all excited, man. I was ready to go. And, and they go, well, it's $1,500 is the cost. And I said, okay, well, can I pay that when I start making money, when y'all make me famous? I mean, I didn't know. And he goes, no, it don't work that way, bud. You got to have $1,500 up front. Well, you know, I didn't have $6 to my name. And so it was a long drive home that day. Um, I uh, just decided it was over. Uh, I went home and I hugged my kids and... It, it worked out, you know, but it's after that point, I really pulled away from wrestling for a long time. When did you come back into wrestling? Because as we're going to talk about, you were a promoter, <clears throat> you ran your own company for a few years, Southern Championship Wrestling. But I did. You know, mm -hmm. when, when did you get back into wrestling? What brought you back? Yeah, so, so after that day, I left, and I never really got involved with wrestling or nothing. I didn't even watch it. The only time that. I would go if, if the kids, if, you know, they watch WWE on TV then when they're, you know, most of kids watch WWE on TV. And so when it came to San Antonio, I would uh, take them to a few shows and that was it. But so one day my son came into us and he goes, hey, dad, man, there is this show going on. It's uh, in San Antonio and I want to go. And I said, who is it? You know, and he goes, well, it's a small company, but then they got wrestling, you know. And it was an independent promotion called RCW, which we all heard of RCW. If you live in Texas, you've heard of RCW. They do a mm -hmm. tremendous job and been doing a great job for a very long time. And I said, uh, okay, man, yeah, I'll take me. So you got to understand, the last time I walked out of, other than WWE shows, I took the kids to a few times. The last time I really saw something that wasn't WWE was at the Sportatorium. And so we go and they pull up to this little church and a little building in the back. There's about 40 chairs laid around the ring, sitting around the ring. And I'm kind of looking around and I'm saying, wow, you know, okay, you know, what's going on? So, you know, there's about 25 or 30 people show up. Um, not written, no production in the show, which nobody did production in the show in the Indies back in. And um, sitting there, but man, what a show. And I know like guys who were young and, and hungry back, you know, like Sean Hernandez was on the show, which we all know Sean. Tremendous wrestler. Uh, Mike Dell, who's a Texas guy that everybody knows in Texas. Uh, Andy Dalton, uh, McKenzie and Matthews. I mean, there was those guys in their prime youth, man. They were going, and this show was phenomenal. 
And I was looking, I said, man, where's all the people at, man? You know, where's all the, I didn't understand. So I started digging into it. And this was in 2005. The, the show, not so much of it being gone. It, 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 when, I, when I went to that show, it was in 2000, uh, 2000, early 2005. Let me plug my phone here. But so we, um, and so I started looking, and there was other few shows around here, not necessarily RCW, but other shows. Some of them was complete garbage. I mean, trash bags, no production, staticky music, and some of the wrestling was good, and some of it wasn't so good. And so I kept looking around. I was going, man, what happened? And so, man, I really got to digging into it, and I said, you know what? I, 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 I want to do something. And, and, and I've been successful. I sold my company all in. And so I created a company called SCW. Didn't know a whole lot about wrestling. I, di I didn't know behind the scenes wrestling, okay? And so, but I knew people and, you know, networking and marketing. And I got it with a guy that everybody knows who is probably one of the best workers in the world was Dusty Wolf. And uh, he uh, became a booker and he guided me the first year of putting the shows together and, and doing all that. And I got to learn from him. I got to learn from a Rudy Boy Gonzalez who is, you know, a talent that's, you know, been worldwide and, and uh, with wrestling. So I, I tried to surround myself with good wrestling people so I could learn. I was, uh, me and my wife, we invested $50,000 in our promotion back in. And that was for our title belts. That was for our uh, lights, our sound system, everything that we could do to present a professional wrestling promotion. And then we decided to stay out of San Antonio's and we would hit the towns, you know, the smaller towns around San Antonio and South, you know, so we did that. And uh, it, it was hard the first few years, you know, because a lot of these towns were burnt. But when they saw an SCW show, I mean, it was ran so professionally. I always brought in quality, very well-trained talent. And from start to finish, you know, we ran a professional show and our crowds would show and they started catching on. And then the last year and a half, we got our own building in a little town called Lytle, Texas. And we ran a, a sports bar. And we had first we had wrestling every week, and then we went to every other week. And, uh, man, we really had success there. So my whole thing about getting into wrestling then was I was so disappointed. And if you look back at 2007, 2008, probably Knight and XCW up and didn't had a professional presentation of the show, but nobody else had it. I mean, if you go back, if you ever see wrestling, down here they didn't have it. So it really ate me up, and and it really rediscovered my love for wrestling. And then my health took a turn for the worse in 2013, and our house burnt up, and we decided to step away. And But I was very happy with our accomplishment because I think that we we were actually able to push other promotions to invest in their companies. And they're really, after 2013, you can look back at main event, some of these guys that came out, really professional shows. And obviously, you know what, but hopefully we had a small part in pushing that narrative. Who was some of the talent that you had at that time? You mentioned, you know, and there was a lot of talent in Texas, you know, still going around there, but who were some of the guys that you got to, to book and to work with? Man, you know, I would, uh, I had a group that really were close to me. I had a guy by the name of Spiro, uh, was very close. To, you know, we lost Spiro here a while back. Uh, Mike Dell, as I mentioned, uh, James Claxton, who was probably one of the faces of our company. You know, he held all of our titles. 
Uh, Dusty Wolf, uh, uh, Mad Dog Ken Johnson. Uh, I brought in some of Booker's guys occasionally. Um, I brought in, I would bring in guys, I would also bring in names. Like uh, I had a very good working relationship with the Honky Talk Man. I brought him in several times. Uh, Davari. Uh, we were able to get Lance Cade to come do a show. Um, really was a nice guy. I know after that particular show, Lance sat back with me in the locker room for almost three hours and just we talked business, you know, how to become a better promoter, the things to look for with the guys. Because you got to understand, I've never trained to be a wrestler at this time. And I didn't want to wrestle. I, want, I wanted to wrestle, but I had something that I wanted to get accomplished with SCW first. Uh, D'Lo Brown, come to, he did a show with us and did a seminar. Uh, Davari. Uh, so we would bring those guys in as well. But just a whole host of talent that came from all over the state. We'd rotate it. Even some of the local guys that I had fun with, like Lemus Dose, who's still in his 50s and going strong. You know, El Latino, those guys. Um, I, I, I worked a lot, with, tried to work with different promotions. Nobody was really doing that back then. You know, everybody had their own Johnson, I guess they were worrying about or whatever. So, you know, I've always tried to reach out and work with promotions. Uh, we brought in Jax Dane. He came and worked with us. So guys like that. We had a I always brought in top talent. I, I felt like we always brought in top talent and really ran good professional wrestling shows. You ran until 2014. You just said that... Uh... You know, you didn't wrestle yet. You you weren't wrestling yet. You want to do something else with SCW first. We've also heard from our listeners you were watching wrestling back in the late sixties, early seventies. We've heard three mm-hmm. children. So now we're going to kind of get into when you got into training to be a wrestler. But for that part, I'm going to bring in uh, Glenn Broggett for the next round of questions. I'm very curious uh, about your, uh, your your decision to uh, finally pursue the in the ring and be the, uh, the, the worker instead of just the promoter. I mean, not just the promoter, but you, you worked your way in. And this is, uh, was this a something that was kind of in the back of your mind? Or what, what was it that got the ball rolling on you deciding to not just be a promoter, but to get involved and get into the training to get into the ring to become a pro wrestler? Uh, what was that like? And, and, I mean, you were, I mean, this was a stage of your life that, uh, I mean, you, you you didn't you weren't in your twenties or you know let's just be honest but what was it like at that point and what made you decide to get into the business because this is awesome that you were able to to pursue your dream in this facet of the business yeah so uh, well so as my health turned we we got our house redone and fixed and all that stuff um, I was I was sitting there thinking one day and I was I, I guess when you get aged. Uh, on you, you kind of start thinking about mortality and things, you know, did I really accomplish all I wanted to do with, with my life? And, um, there was always that hunger to be a wrestler and I really thought it was gone, but it wasn't. But at that time I weighed 365, 370 pounds and I couldn't run six feet, but I knew a lot of people in the business and I was gone for a few years and I called a friend of mine, Chris Marble. Uh, he's a friend and I said, Hey man, you know, I'm 57 years old. Um, I'm way out of shape right now, but I will do my part if you will train me. And um, he said, I tell you what, you do this. And yeah, I will uh, I will let you get into the school. And so I started going to the gym and I started working out and I started losing the weight and doing that. And I got down, you know, to 295. And then I started training at Hybrid School of Wrestling down here. And back then, that's when he had 
you know, not only you got Fanaki, you had Rodney Mack, and that's where I met Rodney Mack and Jazz as well, because they were part of this training team back then. And so uh, I started training. And then the COVID hit, and things kind of got messed up, and then Rodney and Jazz went on their own. And I was still at hybrid for a while. Uh, For whatever reason, me and Chris decided to part ways. And we're very good friends today. In fact, I talked to him today. I love him to death. I love all those kids at hybrid. And, uh, and I'm so appreciative of the foundation that they built me, but I wanted to move faster, you know, and my style and what hybrid style I just probably was the deal. And so back, so I knew Rodney Mack and Jess had opened up Dog Pound Championship Wrestling, or Dog Pound Dojo mm-hmm. training, and they wanted to run shows. And so I talked to Rodney and Jazz. Well, I was ready to just walk away. I was probably devastated a little bit that time because I didn't think I was really going to live the dream. I was going to, I never really saw myself wrestling. As bad as I wanted to, I thought something was going to happen or what was going to happen. And yeah, so you mean, I. You had those doubts, but what was it that kept you going then? Uh, man, that's just what I do when I sit goals. You know, I've done that my whole life. You know, whenever in business, uh, family, I set goals and I, and I, find a way to achieve them by, you know, as working as hard as I possibly can. And so it was a go and I made it. And I went and talked to Rodney and Jazz. I went to that and said, you know, look, I don't think it's going to happen. And Rodney says, okay, come to the dojo Tuesday night. And I said, okay. And so he throws me in the ring and we do our thing. And he goes, what's wrong with that? You know, next thing I know, you know, I was training with them. And a couple of months later, I was wrestling for Dog Pound Championship Wrestling, you know, and it was like, wow, you know, so, uh, you know, and that's who I primarily, that's my main company. I work under Rodney and Jazz as Dog Pound Championship Wrestling. And, but yeah, and we started training and we kind of developed, you know, who I am in the ring and what I do, you know, I do my rocking and rolling and my dancing. I know Jazz said, you know, if Boogie Woogie Man and Dusty Rhodes had a kid, I would be him. So that's my style, you know, that's what I do. So, but, you know, they were to develop, they kind of really taken the hoss holding and who I am and they really insinuated it into the wrestling and it's starting to work out pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, what's that like working with uh, some of the younger uh, generation uh, in pro wrestling and what is your take on the state of uh, independent pro wrestling uh, in, in Texas? Well, it, I, I mixed emotions about it. Um, I think part of it is number one, right now Texas has so many so much young talent on all parts. I mean from El Paso to the Metroplex to Houston to uh, Central and South Texas, all the way down to the Texas is loaded with talent right now. I mean um, on it, but I think some of the but there's also a bunch that I don't think should be wrestling. You've got so many. The, the difference today in of wrestling today is most of these kids that you would see, if you said you, you wouldn't recognize them as a wrestler. If you go back to the 70s and 60s, 70s and 80s and that era, if a guy was a wrestler, he looked like a wrestler at the mall, at the Walmart, at the Kmart. He looked like a wrestler. Well, yeah, he Today, didn't look like the guy that pumped your gas. These were guys that were that took on these characters. They had a presence. There was a look to them. There was just that <clears> overall <throat> attitude to what a wrestler looks like, where you could separate that from the guy that, yeah, like I said, he either pumped your gas or served your food, and you're like seeing him in the ring the next night or seeing him in the locker room throwing on a mask. It's 
You know, it isn't as much of that sort of uh, mystique. Is that what I'm, I'm just trying to get to? Yeah, and prestige. Yes. I, I think it's taken away some of the prestige. So, you know, that's, I, I miss that part, but at the same time, there is good schools out there, and they're putting out good students. But I, I wish the schools, I know they've got to make money, I wish they would be a little bit more selective on because some of the kids that come in, look, they're just taking their money, and then that's fine. You know, those kids ain't going to have a match or whatever. And uh, they'll move on and say, hey, I tried it or whatever, you know. But I, I wish it was a little bit more s- selective, you know, of who they bring in to uh, to uh, wrestle. Like I say, you, th- just because a kid that doesn't look like that doesn't mean he can't go on the ring, you know. Mm-hmm. But when, when you're sitting there and you're on the second row and you're looking at a guy saying, well, heck, I can whip him, you know, then that really takes a mistake. I mean, the wrestler's got to be the baddest guy in the room, sure. you know. And also, and so, psychology yes, has to ahead. come into play too, because <clears throat> that's not an e- as, as always not an easy thing to pick up, per, you know, for every wrestler, is to be able to get into the ring, be able to play off the crowd, be able to play the crowd as well as the the person you are working with in the ring. So, you know, having that as as well as I mean, psychology again, that's one of those things you you pick up and you you learn. But to have guys, uh, you know, like your Rodney Mac and like your Jazz, they full well have learned the psychology of the old school tumble of the business, even though they have been for uh, wrestled in front of major companies and in major arenas, they still had that, that, that mindset to, to employ that psychology. And it, it has showed in their work through the years. It, it has. And I'm telling you, that was the part for me, that was the hardest thing to do. So when I first started in, in ring, you know, I thought that, you know, and I don't mean to be sharing any secret, but, you know, calling the match in the back or however you say, it, you know, whatever. I, I don't do I can't do that because, you know, my I just don't have a good memory. And I and I watch these kids and, and anybody to me and I'll just look at them and I'll say, OK, and then we'll go up there and call them in the ring. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I but that's old school. Yeah. That's what I learned. The old school way of doing things um, like that. And so other than a few things up spot or something like that. The other thing that I think that I really disappointed in Texas wrestling is so many of these schools teach the high flying stuff and they want the big moves and the big spots and, and, but what they're forgetting about teaching is how to work to the, make the spot, you know, the the big, the big moves don't matter because you'll do 50. the, The fans will see 50 or 60 big moves at night and they'll see somebody kick out. You know, on things that used to be a finisher. And I promise you, the guys that used to take those finishes back in the day are a hell of a lot tougher than a lot of the kids now. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. So it, it frustrates me a little bit on that sometimes because then you get a guy does one flip and then he does this and the DDT and then he hits you with a super kick and then he hits you with this, you know, eight finishes and the guy's kicking out. Well, man, you know. And they're just re- repetition. They don't, they, I would rather say what I enjoy in a wrestling match. I really see two guys working, competing, and battling. And when they come time for the big, <clears throat> for the big, for the big move or the big spot, it matters. It's, mm-hmm. it's working, working to the spot, and that's and that's just not really taught hardly anymore. You know, that's not taught at all. So. Well, that, um, that that ability to call the audible in the ring too, where these guys have all of these move sets and things, and if something should just go slightly awry. Some some cases these guys just freeze up because that's not part of the plan. 
it's having right. that ability to be flexible and to call that audible. That also comes with the confidence and what you learn in a crew in the ring. You're exactly right. It's so important. You don't ever want to see a freeze because a fan mostly won't see if you, if you miss a spot or make a mistake or whatever. As long as you land your stuff, make it solid and, and, and work, you know, they're going to appreciate it because that's, that's what happens when you start trying to remember all this stuff you're supposed to do in a match. Guess what? You put the walls up, the, the, the ropes around the ring become walls and you lose connection with the fans. But if you can hear the fans and what, you know, if you're doing something and, and it's quiet, well, change it, you know, call something else, do something. Because then you, and then when you hear what they're wanting by listening to the fans, and then you can work in that direction. And that's working. Oh, 100%. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation here on this edition of Wrestling Memories with our guest, Double H, Hustle. <laughs> Let's make sure we don't have copyright infringement. It was Double H. Double. Yeah. No, I will never reach the level of Triple H. <laughs> what double, a phenomenal. Double, double H. Right. There we go. There we go. Now let's talk about uh, you know kind of you, what you're doing now. You know you're in the ring. You're going to be, I believe, at 62 in January. I believe is what you said. I turned I turned 62 years old January the sixth. January 6th, 62. You're in the ring. You just started training five years ago. What What do you have like? What's in mind? What do you got like for the future? What are you looking to do? Because obviously, you know, the the, the, the end of the, you can probably see the, the end of the road coming. I'm not saying anything bad, but, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's what's in the future for Haas Holden? Well, you know, I really, you know, this whole journey is, you know, when I started this journey and I, I've always thought, you know, as a man and you got a I man, we get our wives, we get our kids, we get our families. And our goals, that you know, you think about when you were young, 18, 19, 20, man, you're going to set the world on fire. You're going to be president. You're going to be this, whatever you're going to, whatever your dreams were, you had the, you had the, you had the whiz and vinegar to do it. And then what happens is we get raising our kids and they're getting into sports. And then their goals become, you got to be supportive of your family's See, so a guy, I think we lose our ability to dream. You know, we don't, by then our life's about over with, and we're saying, yeah, man, I didn't accomplish it. Well, I, hopefully that me doing this, as extreme as it is, and me becoming a professional wrestler at my age, you know, I, I hope that it says, you know what, we can have a dream. You know, we can, you're not, your, your life ain't over at 58, 59, 60, or whatever. You know, now, you don't have to be a wrestler, but never stop dreaming, you know, and that's, that's I, my dream was only on hold. You know, I'm living the dream of a lifetime right now, you know. So what's in store for me in the future? You know, I, I, 62, I really feel like it's going to be my biggest year. I'm really excited. I know my first match is January the 6th in San Antonio. It's uh, probably one of the most important matches I've ever wrestled. It's with Cowboy James Claxton, as we talked about in his days at SCW. He was our face of our company. None of us never saw this back then. <clears throat> and so he and I are going to be in San Antonio for Brandon Outlaw Wrestling, and we're going to get it. I'm really excited about the Dog Pound shows coming up uh, this year. You know, I am their pound-for-pound champion. And, I, I, you know, that belt means so much to me uh, because it's who it represents, you know, Rodney and Jazz. That's their title, the pound-for-pound pound title, and it's an honor for me to represent them. I plan on defending that. And another promotion that I'm very active in is King of Sports. Um, they are tremendous. And they've got a, and th- what King of Sports is doing, 
with the whole network of promotions from uh, Texas to Arkansas to Tennessee, all the way to Carolina. You know, they've, those promotions are putting together a unified championship. And they're also bringing back an old school called the Tate Fist title. And I'm in that tournament coming next year. And I plan on winning it because that's up my alley. I'm a brawler. Look, I can't keep up with the speed of these kids today. You know, these guys are so athletic, you know, so I'm a brawler. So as faster we can get to swing and fist, you know, the better my chances are. I got to see you wrestle. Well, uh, it's originally theater when you did the ICWE uh, double shot WrestleMania weekend. The crowd that was, was... Yes. that was disappointing, <laughs> but it was good. I, I was I was uh, it was a long show, and I love David to death. He's a good kid. Uh, got a lot of experience. I know uh, it was James's last. A lot of that stuff was sprung on to me at the when he did it, but did this whole announce. I had a lot of that was my Fort Worth debut. It was very important. You know, I graduated out of. Eastern Hills High School in Fort Worth. I had a lot of uh, classmates there. Uh, our time was cut to nearly nothing. And to me, I sold too many tickets to do that. But anyway, so it, it, it's um, it's one of those things. But it was a great – it's part of what also helped me become who I am. All this – it was a building block, you know, of, of who mm-hmm. I am. But what did you think of that match? I, I enjoyed the match, you know, for what it was. And uh, like you said, you worked with a friend of mine. And it was his final match, and yeah. I know he mm-hmm. was happy to have you as an opponent. But the crowd was really into you when you came out. So going from fan to promoter to actually getting to wrestle in the ring in front of the fans, what's it like when you come out that curtain and you hear the fans? Because they were cheering, they're clapping along with the music, whatever. You're out there doing your mm-hmm. dancing, people are dancing with you. You get a great crowd reaction. What is it like getting to go through that, knowing everything you've done and gotten to see over the years? I, I know I did a post the other day on my Facebook page about there's a little uh, a behind the curtain look, you know, where I'm walking. I don't know if y'all, if you, I don't know if y'all see my music. I got a music video too out that y'all might have to check out. You can go to YouTube, Hoss Holding, and Google it, search it in my music video, and it's also on my uh, Facebook page. But the uh, that moment when you're sitting here, you first hear your music. I think that is the probably the most adrenaline exciting scared every emotion that you could think of multiplied by 20 is what you're going through right before you walk out that curtain and uh but yeah then you go out and then it just that energy pushes you to go out there and to do the dancing and do the prancing and you know and that's what people expect out of me and we have a good time with it you know i think the whole the whole house holding song number one they're going to remember my name if you've heard the song so oh yeah <laughs> so it's uh it's uh it was um it, it's a it's nothing it's 10 t- it's 100 times better than i could ever imagine then and it, it it's and like you said i understand my age um i know that uh, i'm not going to get to do it forever you know I, in fact you know and I say this, you know, I know when I think about my last match and every time when I start, th- when I make it really, really like, hey, man, it's, you know, it could be this year. It could be when, it, man, I literally start crying because I never wanted to end because of that, you know, that behind the curtain, you know, the lock. The, when you're getting ready, you hear that music start and man, the energy. And it's just as a, it's a euphoria that you cannot even imagine. 
And so, yeah, I don't want it to end, but I know it is. But yeah, I mean, it's just words cannot describe it. It's it, it, it matters to I, I, I'm have it's, it's part of the whole deal that making it so fun. You're talking about your last match, whenever that is, and you're talking about looking to the future. What's that one match you want to have before you end? Who's that one guy you want to step in that ring with and just have you know a fight with? You know, I mean, there's a few. You know, um, I uh, if I could probably say one in there. Well, I, I want to fight. I, I want you know a uh, Ryan Davidson. I think that uh, he and I would really the chemistry would be great. I think it would be a good match. Uh, I'd like uh, the, from up there, Mr. Anderson that lives up in the New Jersey area. I'd like to I'd like to get up there and wrestle him. I know I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling next year. You know, I'm really going to hit a lot of different states with these bookings I have and stuff. Uh, Anderson, um, uh, man, you know I don't have that initially at one person, um, but. I, you know, it's hard. There's so many people that I respect and love in this business that, you know, I, I just enjoy being in the ring with just about anybody. I just, I'm, I'm just, it's too much fun. So I don't think about that other, you know, I always come back to Ryan Davidson. He was, you know, one of the guys that wrestled SCW back in the day. Um, I'm kind of enjoying wrestling some of the guys from SCW. You know, I had a series with Mike Dale. We had a three match series. Uh, that was very, I thought it was very good. Uh, I've wrestled, um, uh, my first time will be James Claxton. So I guess probably the other big SCW guy that back then he went by another name, but it was a uh, uh, maybe Britt McKenzie. You know, Britt McKenzie was uh, my last open division title holder here. So I'm kind of going through them. So hey, man, why not? You know, if Britt McKenzie can get the word to him, maybe we could do something. You know, I think it's pretty neat that those guys never saw me as a wrestler back in, but they respected my abilities as a promoter because I always paid well, always took care of them, and always made sure they had a good crowd and a safe environment to work in. So for me now to face them across the ring, none, none of us saw that back in. So, you know, maybe I'd like to go through some of the OSCW. And I've Lemus Dose, I've worked with him. He wrestled at SCW. So there's guys there that I, I'm enjoying kind of – you know, rekindling some of the old SCW stuff with the guys. For our listeners who might be interested in seeing some of your <clears> matches <throat> or maybe some SCW footage, is any of that available online? And where can they find you on social media? Well, I, I, I've got all that the the X thing, and I've got the the, the other one, but I really don't use the. Was it? Uh, I, I can't. Remember. I basically do the Facebook. I've got two Facebook pages. I've got one like a business page. I don't really get on it that much because I don't understand it. But look, I'm a country <laughs> boy. I, I live out in the country, man. I drink buttermilk, I eat cornbread, and beans, and and I've got I, and and that's and I like sitting out in the pasture and working out. And you know, I'm a, I'm a country. I'm 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 country as it comes. You know, I just graduated to color TV not too long ago. You know. I miss rabbit ears. Okay. So, um, so if you can go to my Facebook page and go to the Facebook page that, um, the one that you can, if you skip down, I've got my music video pinned and that's the best way to reach me. I know. And I was surprised about this. So I went to YouTube and I, and I just, in the search, I typed my name in householding. And man, all my matches were on there. I'm going, holy moly, man, that's pretty cool. Look at there, my music videos on there. It's got a bunch of views, so I've got a lot of stuff out there. You know, I've got to figure out. You know, if I go past 62, 
I will, uh, I will get that stuff figured out. You know, I, it, maybe find me one of my grandkids. I do have 12 grandkids, so surely I can recruit one of them to handle my social media stuff because they know all that stuff. <laughs> I have my kids teaching me how to use TikTok, so I, I don't, I don't understand it, but it's something I'm getting into. So, my yeah, kids and I got a TikToker to too, and I've, and I've got. But you know what I don't understand about all the social media stuff is like you don't know you hear about the catfishing. Well, the only thing I knew about catfish, you take a hunk of liver and you go fishing. I didn't know catfishing and bots and all the and they're hitting you with all this stuff. I'm going, man, why do you got to even fight that stuff? You know, it's just it ain't worth it. Just you know, get you something and 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 I always ask because I got I get so many requests of friends. You know, if you're going to request me as a friend on Facebook, just send me a message and let me know you're, you know, you're legit because I've got so many. I don't know if they're real or not. You know, it's hard for me to tell. So, and I don't, you get hacked and, you know, you see all that stuff and all that stuff makes me nervous. You know, I don't even, you know, everybody does that cash app stuff or paying pal and that stuff like, man, I I can't do it. You know, I just, it makes me nervous. So. It's just a Facebook page at Hoss Holding, and there's two of them there. If you get the one, but get the music video, then that's the best way. All right, Glenn, I don't know about you, but I feel like having me some buttermilk and some cornbread, so I'm going to pass the microphone <laughs> back to you. Oh, man, you know what? It's getting close to the dinner hour here, so I, I'm definitely with you on that. You know, with all them grandkids, you could form a stable and call them the Hoss Holding Company. Well, we, you know, I, there's a few of them that say they want to wrestle. You know, the great thing, you know, me living in Casterville, and I've got so many of the kids, and I speak, and one of the great joys that wrestling has brought me a lot of great joys. I, you know, the one thing I really enjoy doing is I go speaking at different schools, you know, all over the state, you know, at uh, usually at the elementary schools and some at middle schools and, as a guest speaker. And I, I do programs about, you know, about, um, you know, peer pressure, you know, for years and years and years, you know, through the different, you know, uh, deals that tell you like, you know, just say no or don't do that, you know, but they never really, under, they never really attack the issue. And to me, what all that really starts is with peer pressure, you know, when a kid will say, hey, come on, man, let's go do this. And one kid's no, no, no. And they will pressure you or bully you into doing something that you might not want to do. And then next thing you know, we get it, we lose a kid. Mm-hmm. So I really talk about peer pressure and try to reverse that to where the kid doing right can really put the positive pressure. We turn peer pressure into positive pressure to do the right thing. And then all of a sudden it's not pressure anymore. So, and I will do scenarios with the kids and I speak depending on what I'm seeing going on with the kid. You know, you talking about reading the room as the fans, when you're in their ring uh, uh, wrestling, it's the same thing when you, when you speak uh, uh, and you talk about things is you've got to be able to read that room. I know there's a few companies that want me to go speak at their functions, you know, a motivational thing. And I haven't agreed to that yet. I don't know if I want to do that. But, you know, I mean, they've offered me a, a nice sum of money to go speak to their lunch for an hour. And that's something I might do next year. And I don't know. I really enjoy talking to the kids. And, man, if we could just grab a few kids and, and stray them right, you know, that's what we got to do. That sounds like a great plan. I mean, again, you could be the, you're like a multi-threat, my friend. Thank you so much to Haas Holding, and thank you so much to my co-host, the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy. I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.